Welcome back to Always YA, the podcast where we discuss young adult books and other media. My name is Jane McMahon, and I'm here with my fellow librarians, Kate Pritchard and Susan Timmons. And this May, we are celebrating Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. So we're going to share some AAPI picks today. But before that, we are each going to share a piece of YA media we have tried since last month's episode. So Kate, would you go first? So I have lately been reading a book called Hidden Valley Road. This is technically not YA. Um, I know sometimes we um, branch out a little bit into, you know, this is like a book that um, I think teenagers would um, enjoy. I can remember as a um, teenager myself being really interested in um, stories like this. So this is a story, true story of a family who lived mid-century American family. They lived in Colorado. They had 12 children and fully half of them developed schizophrenia. Wow. It's a, sort of an incredible story. It's very, uh, it's sad, of course. There's um, just a lot, you know, reading this, learning about how schizophrenia was treated back then could be, you know, very sad to read about. We've made a lot of strides um, since then. But I just have found it really um, fascinating. And I think for for a treatment of a subject that can be pretty disturbing, there is, for example, you know, some abuse that happened in the family. It is not very graphic. So I think it actually um, would work, you know, pretty well. Uh, there's nothing in here that I think would be concerning for um, a teenager to read about. And I think it would have a lot of appeal. Certainly, I am really enjoying it. So that book is Hidden Valley Road by Robert Kolker. Okay. Does this kind of fall in the same category or adjacent to the glass castle kind mm. of like we were talking about last month um yes be, being sort of the story of a dysfunctional family mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i think it's in a way weirdly like a less sensational story although it sounds fairly sensational but it's just presented very uh, matter-of-factly i would say and it's sort of interwoven with like the history of our understanding of schizophrenia and how it's been treated um over the years Uh, But yeah, certainly share some DNA with a book like that. Well, thank you, Kate. And next up, Susan. I've been trying two shows that are fairly similar, and one I heartily recommend, and the (laughs) other I will steer you away from (laughs) if I possibly can. Um, So my algorithms have been pointing me toward a show, and I'm just going to spell it for you before I pronounce it so we're clear, (laughs) C-U-N-K. Kunk on Earth uh, is what Netflix has been pushing on me. And then Hulu has been trying to convince me to watch The History of the World Part 2, the Mel Brooks sequel to the film. And so I relented. uh, It got me last week. And so uh, my daughter and I sat down and we tried History of the World Part 2. And it really honestly threw me into an existential crisis because it was just awful oh no and um (laughs) just not funny um so imagine like when you watch saturday night live there are those good sketches Mm. and then there's all the other sketches (laughs) that you immediately forget about because they're so bad Mm -hmm. well imagine a whole series of just the bad ones that's pretty much what it felt like Mm. you know we did not chuckle at all um and sort of as you were saying earlier kate you know they are both mature rated but i would say this the mel brooks title is a little raunchier Mm. so 
and and so the existential crisis i was like wait has mel brooks ever been funny i remember (laughs) thinking he was funny so then we went back and watched the movie the history of the world which i remember there's a couple of clips from that Mm. that are just famous the 10 command 15 whoops (laughs) 10 commandments the spanish inquisition Mm. we couldn't get through a half an hour of it it was just so offensive Mm. um Mm. and deeply unfunny and so i'm like well, wait, have I changed? Has the world changed? Mm -hmm. Why did I think this was funny when I was this age? So I don't even know. (sighs) But the good news is, (laughs) Kunk on Earth, pretty pretty legit funny. Mm -hmm. So Kunk (laughs) on Earth is a British comedian named Diane Morgan. It's like a mockumentary. So it's not as long uh, as History of the World. It's like five episodes, each one going through a certain time period, just sort of like you know, a history class. And this is where I've heard some of the history teachers in my school being interested in this. And she's she's just deeply wrong in her assumptions about <laughs> history. And so she schedules a lot of interviews with very serious professional historians, sort of like, a, a, like The Daily Show, where they're quite taken aback by some of the theories that she floats uh, <laughs> with a very straight face in right. these interviews. Um, so if you only could do one I would say (laughs) spend your time on kunk on earth and if you do decide to watch history of the world like is it just me like Mm. am I the only one who who finds found it just kind of unsettling Mm -hmm. so share your thoughts (laughs) and where do people access kunk yes so kunk on earth is on Netflix and then history of the world is on Hulu well thank you and we will stand warned Susan (laughs) As for me, one book I have really enjoyed since our last episode is All Our Hidden Gifts by Catherine O'Donohue. Back in December, in our mini episode, I recommended a nonfiction book as one of our giftable books. And so I recommended a nonfiction title about tarot for teens. And All Our Hidden Gifts is a YA novel about a girl named Maeve who learns she is a natural tarot reader when she finds a deck of cards in an old closet at her Irish girls' school. So Maeve is not quite a popular girl at school, not quite an outcast, but she's had a terrible falling out with her former best friend Lily. But she gains a bit of social status when all her classmates start begging her for tarot readings. (laughs) But then when Lily disappears after a public disagreement with Maeve, most of the other girls then turn on Maeve, blaming her and even calling her witch. Mm -hmm. So at that point, Maeve knows she has to do whatever she can to find out what happened to Lily and bring her back and try and make things right. So that's all I want to reveal about the plot. But I do want to mention that this novel also addresses the cultural progress and potential backlash in Ireland about the rights of the LGBT population, among other social issues. And I think that really added an interesting dimension to this story, Mm -hmm. but also it's not the main thrust of the story, but also it didn't feel tacked on as an Mm -hmm. afterthought. Hmm, Like final edit, let's just mention that one of the characters (laughs) is non-binary and then we get to check that diversity box. Right. Right. Uh, so high recommendation for all our hidden gifts. Is this something I could recommend? So I have a student who really likes Dairy Girls, which I know both of you like Dairy Girls. Mm-hmm. So is that if you're interested in Irish culture? Yes. It'd be a good book. Okay. And I would say it's about also the same level of maturity and, and all of that. <laughs> so if you think she's the appropriate audience for uh-huh. Dairy Girls, I think this would be a pretty similar fit. 
if we ever do a video um, episode, I think you should be doing tarot card readings. Maybe you could do our reading futures. I, I, I was hoping you were going to say I could dress as Michelle from Dairy Girl. <laughs> I think we should invite the actors from Dairy Girl onto the show. Sure. <laughs> or we could have James be our one boy. He's on the panel. So now moving on to the main topic of this episode, which um, is our AAPI picks for the month of May. First, uh, we're going to discuss just a little bit about um, any trends we might have noticed in Asian representation in YA lit over the years. As for me, I know it seemed like for a very long time, nothing was changing. I remember being in middle school and reading Farewell to Manzanar, Mm -hmm. like, end of list. Uh, (laughs) That is Asian representation Mm -hmm. in YA books. And then, at least out of, outside of my awareness, there may have been other things, you know, slowly growing. But I really didn't see a lot change for several years. And now there seems to be a lot more representation, um, YA books that include Asian characters, South Asian characters, mm-hmm. uh, and other cultures represented. Though I will say, as in many other aspects of YA lit, a lot of this trends towards a very female-oriented audiences. Mm -hmm. And yet again, it seems like the rest of the audience might be left behind. However, there is one huge exception that uh, I'm thankful for, and that is, although we're not going to go into a detailed timeline of Asian representation today, the mid-aughts would be a huge mile marker because that's when Jean Luen Yang published uh, American Born Chinese. Mm-hmm. You know, I cons- I certainly considered choosing one of his books to talk about today. In my mind, that would be almost so glaringly obvious. It's right. like, yeah, like we, we know all about him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, for anyone who isn't aware of him, he really kind of came on the scene with American Born Chinese, Boxers and Saints. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of his, uh, I am a huge advocate uh, for the shadow hero. Mm-hmm. And I also loved his recent book, Dragon Hoops. Mm-hmm. And these are all graphic novels, right? Yes. Yeah. But other than that, I would say he seems to be kind of not completely standing alone, but um, somewhat one of the main figures in terms of books that might be have a little bit more boy appeal Mm -hmm. for this age group. So that's what I've kind of noticed recently about Asian representation and YA. Kate, what about you? Well, so I would say, you know, certainly um, growing up, you know, similar age, um, definitely did not see a lot of... um, Asian characters, Asian or Asian American representation, um, and a lot of books that I read. Um, and I think that it's probably been, you know, the rise of the We Need Diverse Books movement has mm-hmm. had um, a huge and very welcome um, change, of course, sort of all across the board in terms of representation um, in books for children and teenagers. Um, and one thing that I have noticed that seems to have gone sort of along. Um, with that, um, with the rise of that movement is there's more space in the market now um, for books with representation of um, different characters from different um, backgrounds that are not solely focused on issues of race or ethnicity. They're not all immigrant stories. Of course, those stories are great and those stories are welcome and we need them, you know, but not every teenager wants to read, you know, the sort of problem novels, right? Mm -hmm. And so I have been really happy to see 
the rise of like sort of light fluffy YA books with Asian and Asian American uh, representation. So we've got, you know, I've seen like the influence of um, like K-pop and K-dramas um, in uh, in some YA books. I'll just mention quickly that I really loved I'll Be the One by Lila Lee, which is uh, came out a couple years ago and features a girl who is an Asian American girl who's trying to get onto like a K-pop um, TV uh, competition mm-hmm. uh, as a singer and a dancer. And so that was just, it was really fun. I have really enjoyed some of uh, Maureen Gu's books. Her first one, I think, was um, I Believe in a Thing Called Love, which again is about a girl who is very into, in this case, um, K-dramas. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so, and then, you know, you've got like Jenny Han, such a powerhouse in the romance um, genre. Um, you've got just, you know, books with a lot of like melodrama. Um, there's been a rise in, you know, fantasy and science fiction. Marie Lu um, just, you know, turns out like one dystopian bestseller after another. Right. Um, I have a ton of kids at my school who are really into her. So, yeah, I would say that's the trend that I've seen is sort of not entirely away from um, social issues or problem novels, but expanding to also include, you know, stories that are just fun and lighthearted. All right. Uh, Susan, what about you? Well, I want to echo the the trend that Kate noticed. I, too, am happy that there's been um, this expansion of the type of topics that would be covered. Mm-hmm. And to me, it also mirrors what's going on with African-American YA literature, yes. where it, you know all the books were about the civil rights movements mm-hmm. or something like that, and it was always about oppression. Right. And one day I had a teacher, come to me and just say can are there any happy books like can we find any happy choices right and it was it was disturbing how difficult it was to find to find that and now we have in say the last three to five years had a push toward what we call black joy Mm -hmm. black joy books where you're just like going to the prom or doing something Mm -hmm. fun or solving a mystery or you get to be the hero of the story and it doesn't have to completely revolve around your oppression Mm -hmm. and so i would say there's a similar rise in asian joy Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) books and that's been really nice to see but the other thing that i just want to talk about is that the own voices movement um, thanks a lot to um, we need diverse books. Mm-hmm. Um, now I will say, just like you guys, back when I was young, you know, I could name like the one title I remember reading with an Asian author. That was about it. Mm-hmm. But I adored this author named Lindsay Namioka, and she wrote a series of middle grade historical mystery novels um, with two masterless samurai or ronin who were the characters and they would travel around from town to town in japan and they would always use their knowledge of samurai sort of culture to solve the mysteries Mm -hmm. um and i i treasured those i still have Mm. them you know from move after move after move every time i've weeded my books like those are the ones that made the cut that I still have my originals of. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there have always been some own voices. Um, Lawrence Yep, I think. Yes, I read a lot of him. Again, a lot of immigrant stories, Mm -hmm. but still a lot of historical fiction. I still love Linda Sue Park. Mm -hmm. Um, Her middle grade novels are fantastic. Um, But then you, you would also kind of balance that out with someone like Patricia McCormick, who is a journalist and did a wonderful job researching. Um, But, you know, what, 10 or 15 years ago when I was looking for a a middle grade book set in India, you know, her novel Sold, which is about, I think, child brides or human trafficking or something Mm -hmm. like that. 
Um, and then she did Never Fall Down, which I believe was about the Cambodian massacre. Excellent books, but definitely not own voices books. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Memoirs of a Geisha, right? Which is a fantastic book, but written by a white guy from Chattanooga, Arthur Golden. And I remember the the geisha whom he wrote about, she actually uh, countered back with her own sort of memoir, oh. um, pushing back against some of his characterizations of her. So that, that was interesting. So now to see um, my students loving, you know, Kevin Kwan's Crazy Rich Asians, mm-hmm. which has both the themes. Number one, it's an own voices. But number two, it's not an immigrant saga. It's a ridiculous, like, <laughs> over named, the top. Yeah. It's so over the top, but it's also very true to his life growing mm. up of, like, this is what his, you know, he was at these exclusive schools and with these incredibly wealthy um, families who were buying all these luxury goods. Mm-hmm. I mean, his life wasn't one of suffering and misery and oppression. Right. It was of this craziness. And so he he now can write about that and we can enjoy reading about that. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I love that it's opened up and we have all of these options now. Yeah. Well, now on to our picks. So Kate, will you start us off with your AAPI pick for this month? Sure. So I picked A First Time for Everything by Dan Santat. This is, um, it's a graphic memoir. Those of you who are regular listeners of the podcast may remember that I um, went on and on about how much I love graphic memoirs last time. Um, so I'm sticking with that theme this time around. And I, I work with middle school and high school students. And I have to say, I tend to read more middle grade than YA. And so this, we have in our middle grade section, but this to me really reads kind of like upper middle grade slash you know, younger um, YA. Uh, so it's a memoir of um, Dan Santat's, a trip that he took to Europe with a school group when he was um, right at the end of eighth grade. So he was uh, 13. And it's just, so it's called a first time for everything because there, you know, it's like his first time on a plane, his first time out of the country. Um, he has um, his first beer his first kiss, (laughs) his first cigarette. These are not all like, you know, the first beer he takes a sip and he thinks that's so disgusting. Why would anyone? Right. Um, So, which is why I say, you know, I, I think it's fine for middle grade readers, but I, I do think some of the experiences he's having are really, you know, are like um, seventh, eighth, ninth grade students. That's sort of like the, would be the, to me, the target audience um, for a book like this. Um, but I just am, am really enjoying it so much. Um, so that is A First Time for Everything by Dan Santat. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's one I had not even heard of. Right. So thanks for bringing it to our attention, Kate. Uh, Susan, what's your pick for us? Well, I had the good fortune of hearing the author Stacy Lee speak. Um, it was during COVID and our school had her as a guest speaker. It had to be over Zoom sadly but um i was so impressed with her talk and it really reminded me a lot of the times that i've been fortunate enough to um, hear ruta sepetis speak Mm. the you know the undisputed queen of ya (laughs) historical fiction and what ruta sepetis does a great job of when she talks is 
pulling her family history in to kind of explaining where the the kernels of the ideas that she had for the books to research, uh, or even her latest one, I think, Fountains of Silence, um, was from a, a, a New York Times article she read mm -hmm. about these sort of orphans, these missing orphans, and that got her just down the rabbit hole of research and stuff like that. And so what Stacey Lee did in her talk that was so great is she has pictures, family pictures, pictures that she took on vacation where she's visited the, the sites that she talks about in her historical fiction. And the particular lens that she brings is she's exposing that there have always been Chinese Americans in the South where we don't realize it's not part of the sort of commonly accepted history, but after the, the sort of the Chinese Exclusion Act where a lot of the railroad workers or the folks who had come over to California from China essentially were getting pushed out, one of the places they went was they came down to Mississippi, they came down to the South, they began to integrate into the culture. And so um, The Downstairs Girl is a novel that she wrote uh, set in Atlanta um, around 1890 and, it, and again it's just, it's a Chinese American and her experience sort of trying to fit in, trying to make a living. Um, but the one that I wanted to talk about specifically for today is her other book, Luck of the Titanic. And so again, she has an author's note where she describes her research where she uncovered that there were eight Chinese people on the Titanic, hmm. um, six of whom survived. And so how they were essentially written out of the history of the Titanic what they were doing, who potentially, I mean, of course, it's a novel, so it's all, a lot of it's fictionalized, what they might have been doing. <laughs> um, and so the, the protagonist is a, a girl named Valora Luck, and she is an aspiring circus performer. And so she and her twin brother, Jamie, have uh, learned that someone associated with Ringling Brothers Circus is on the Titanic. And so she hatches this plan that they could essentially audition and have their lucky break. So um, she is basically smuggles herself aboard <laughs> the Titanic. And so they're very busy doing other things until, of course, as we all know, mm -hmm. tragedy strikes. And so um, it, it's fun to be able to read a historical fiction book, but the Titanic books, uh, disaster books, are pretty popular, I think, with young adults. There's always this, a fascination. Rita Sepetis did a disaster book, mm -hmm. Salt to the Sea, right. about the, is it the Lusitania? Uh, I, thought, I think it was the Wilhelm Gustloff. Oh, thank you, okay. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's nice to have something in that space where it's it's got some Chinese characters, but you're getting to read about all these other kinds of things set in that mm -hmm. time period as well. And I'll just add as well, I've read a couple of Stacey Lee's mm -hmm. um, other books and really enjoyed them. And mm -hmm. I thought at the time, I remember thinking, these are really great, you know, again, for that like seventh, eighth mm. grade age range. You know, I think we've talked again in a previous episode about how hard it is to find, you know, books for readers in that particular age range because so much YA tends to kind of age up a bit. It pushes the envelope and, you know, and that's great. There's a need for those books, but there's right. also a need for those books that a seventh grader can pick up who isn't really right. interested in a lot of like sexual content. Um, and you know, just wants a good story. And so I, right. I feel like Stacy Lee is one of my kind of go-to authors um, for this age range in particular. The main characters are older, the characters tend to be that 16 to 17, but the content is really clean. Mm -hmm. Right. 
So my pick for this month is another graphic memoir. <laughs> we, you know, I did relish on our last episode <laughs> and Kate was rhapsodizing about graphic memoirs. And so a few weeks ago when I was just lightly Googling things like mm-hmm. AAPI books <laughs> and for YAs and everything like that. Well, the first hit I got on one list was for this book, Messy Roots, and really I was thinking, oh, I hope Kate hasn't already snapped this one <laughs> up. I thought about it. <laughs> I also thought about dragon hoops. There's okay. so many good ones yeah. to choose from in this genre. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, Messy Roots uh, has the subtitle, A Graphic Memoir of a Wuhanese American, and it is by the artist and writer Laura Gao. And the description is just what you get. Gao was born in China and raised by her grandparents there for the first few years of her life. Her parents had already relocated to the U.S. to begin their graduate school programs shortly after she was born. But she joins them there when she is four years old. And she spends most of her pre-college years in Texas, where she struggles to fit in at school. She's a successful mathlete, but she feels more at home in the art classroom. She fights frequently with her father, but they often bond over a shared love of basketball. And then when it is time for Laura to leave for college, she opts for the University of Pennsylvania, where she hopes to have enough distance from home that she can finally start over with a blank canvas. But there she actually faces even more uncertainty about her identity, both as an Asian immigrant and as a queer woman as she comes to first understand her queer identity. So um, there's a very fun section that's kind of a choose your fighter meme uh, (laughs) where she illustrates all the different types of Asians she meets at Penn as opposed to the kinds of people she knew back in Texas. So it's like choose your fighter. There's the international crazy rich Asian, the triple major Asian, uh, and the social justice Asian. But she knows that none of those are quite her. But she makes progress as, as time moves on. And she also writes about a couple of trips that she makes back home to Wuhan to visit cousins and other relatives, which are fun to see if you like that travel aspect Mm -hmm. um, in your literature. So I would highly recommend this to anyone who just enjoys graphic memoirs, and then especially if you're interested in immigrant narratives uh, about young adults. So that is Messy Roots by Laura Gao. Those are our picks for May, but before we wrap up this episode, we'd each like to share something that we are looking forward to. So Kate, what's something you're looking forward to next? So I was Googling (laughs) before we began this episode. I'm Googling Heartstopper Season 2. Please let there be some news about Heartstopper Season 2. And there is like this mysterious announcement on Netflix Mm. uh, that basically, you know, everyone is like speculating what it means. It's not an announcement of a release date, but um, like maybe they'll announce the date this week. I don't know. It's very mysterious. So I don't actually have specific news to report about this yet. Of course, I'm hoping by the time this episode comes out that we will know. But that's what I'm really looking forward to this year. Ever since I saw the first season of Heartstopper last year, I thought, oh, I can't wait for season two. And I just feel like it's coming soon I'm, I'm manifesting it nice. <laughs> okay uh Susan what's something you're looking forward to well I'm also manifesting for Netflix <laughs> to commit to a release date for their live action version of Avatar the Last Airbender when oh. it comes out I will review it that will be me <laughs> I've claimed it um but it, they've been diddling around with the the date for a long time mm-hmm. so maybe now um but I uh, 
when I was trying to decide what to read for this month, I also was reminded of the memoir by uh, actress Constance Wu called Making a Scene. Mm. So she was uh, on the TV series Fresh Off the Boat, Mm -hmm. and then she was in Crazy Rich Asians, and then there was a sort of... um, kerfuffle online and she got sort of canceled and mm. um, she went on the interview circuit when this novel came out talking or excuse me when her memoir came out talking about feeling almost suicidal at a point because of mm. how difficult the sort of backlash she had to face because of this so um, I had such a good time reading that Jeanette McCurdy memoir last month mm-hmm. I think I'm gonna stay with it and maybe <laughs> read Constance uh, Wu's memoir next nice okay and Constance Wu, she's the actress we probably know best from Fresh Off the Boat. Fresh Off the Boat, okay. but also Crazy Rich Asians, which is, you know, makes me wonder, this is why I want to read the memoir. Like, I thought they had gotten approval to go ahead and do the second and the third movies right away. And yet here we are four years later, there's mm. no second, third movies. Right. And so I'm wondering kind of, there, I think she had some resistance to renewing the contract, not wanting to be sort of stereotyped in roles. On Fresh Where, Off the Boat, you mean? Yeah, mm-hmm. that and. So, I'd, so I'm wondering what, why is the delay and is any of that part of this sort of stuff that happened? Mm-hmm. Again, I wasn't sort of uh, keyed into all of it, so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm now curious if this can help explain why I've been waiting so long for the next <laughs> movie to come out. <laughs> okay. Uh, my pick uh, that I'm looking forward to is a new TV series. Uh, It will not be available right when this episode drops, but it will be available on May 19th, and it is a new TV series called Primo, Mm -hmm. which will air on the streaming platform Freevee. It's a new one to me. (laughs) (laughs) There's too many streaming platforms now. (laughs) See, so I think technically it's Amazon Freevee, and... I think it used to be IMDb TV, if you remember when that was a free streaming app that you can add to your Roku or whatever. Anyway, so Primo is about a Mexican-American teenager being raised by his single mother and a pack of uncles (laughs) who I imagine have different kinds of advice that they all want (laughs) to offer their adolescent nephew. And so I don't know too much else about the series in terms of what's going to happen in the series. But the reason I'm so excited for it is because it was created by Shea Serrano and Michael Schur. So Shea Serrano is a Mexican-American writer from Texas. He used to be a teacher before he moved into writing full-time. And he's published books about rap, basketball, movies. And I learned about him when he was a regular podcaster for The Ringer. And then more people probably already know Michael Shore from, you know, he did work on The Office and then moved into, you know, helming his own projects like Parks and Rec, The Good Place, Rutherford Falls. So that's why I'm really excited for Primo. And so, like I said, it'll be on Freevee streaming starting May 19th. Mm. That's awesome. A lot of uh, kids at my library are very into those Shea Serrano books. They're super fun. (laughs) (laughs) So he's written basketball and other things, movies and other things. He did, I think, they may have only been online versions, but he has a collection of essays about scrubs and a collection Mm -hmm. of essays about The Office. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, that is it for this episode of Always YA. Uh, this is actually the last episode of our first full season. <laughs> so we made it. <laughs> we, made it. Uh, we will be on summer hiatus for the next two months, and then we will be back in August. 
So thank you so much to everyone who has listened to even one of our episodes mm-hmm. in season one. If you want to follow us on Instagram, we're at alwaysyapod. If you want to share any thoughts about AAPI literature, uh, you can email us at alwaysyapod at gmail.com. And if you want to see a list of the books we discussed in this episode, please check the show notes. So until next time, we wish you a great summer. And we are Jane McMahon, Susan Timmons, and Kate Pritchard. And we are Always YA. Thanks for listening.